Father God, we're thankful, Lord, uh, for you, um, for what you took on our behalf, Lord, uh, for the cross of Jesus and your sacrifice that you made. God, we're so thankful that you're reigning now and forevermore. So we give you praise this morning for who you are, and we ask, Lord, that you'd be with us now as we dive into your word. Would you open our hearts and our minds to receive them from you and you alone this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat. Thank you. Well, good morning. Welcome to FBN this morning. I hope you're excited to be here. If you have your Bibles, get those open and turn them to 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you do not have a Bible, we want you to follow along with us. So grab a black one from the seat back in front of you and get to page 1065. And then you'll be at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and can follow along with us. We're glad that you're here this morning. I'm going to thank uh, Brandon and Grace for leading us in worship. And thank you guys. It's awesome to hear the voices this morning uh, singing out. It's always, it's always a cool feeling. And uh, before we jump into 2 Timothy 3, I have a, a building project update for you, uh, which is exciting to actually have an update, right? Uh, there's been a lot of delays and stuff, but um, there's been quite a bit of progress made in recent weeks on getting the uh, final drawings done from the engineers and on financing. And so um, we have, we're very close to uh, everything we need to secure financing through uh, THSB. And um, one of the things that, one of the reasons that I'm updating you on this is if you're a member, I want you to be on the lookout uh, for a meeting coming soon. All right, that's the, that's the detail I can give you, coming soon, right? I have to give you seven days heads up, all right, for this, and this is it. And, uh, and the reason why is we're trying to practice uh, patience and uh, urgency at the same time. Okay, and here's the deal. So uh, to, to, to finalize the financing, the title company wants us to do one more member vote to approve the loan, um, but we don't want to put that in front of you until we know uh, what the final projected cost of the project is. And so until we get that, we're not going to put that in front of you, but uh, the bank is trying to hold for us a lower interest rate uh, that they forecast is going to go up soon. And so the second we get that word from uh, from the engineers, from the construction company, we will be coming to you immediately, all right? And so this is your warning right now to be on the lookout for a member's vote, coming to a member meeting, coming whatever form uh, the title company says it needs to take. So please uh, be, on, be on, just be, just watch emails, track text. We'll let you know when we know, and, uh, and we'll need a quick response from you when that time comes. Second, uh, I want to just say this. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you. I was looking back at um, some of our notes for this, and it was July 4th of last year uh, that we kind of launched the capital campaign for the upfront giving and the monthly pledges. And that means we're coming up on a year since we started that with no visible progress whatsoever. Um, and yet, you guys hit every goal we had. 
and you're still faithfully giving. And what you've done is, despite all the delays that comes with life in 2022, is you put us in a much, much better position than we would have been in uh, just by your faithfulness. And so uh, on behalf of our entire team, on the staff, elders, you, we just want you to hear thank you, thank you, thank you for uh, being faithful at to responding and being to what God has asked you to do. And, and we are better off than we would have been otherwise. And so uh, we're grateful for that and hope uh, we're hopeful that you'll see progress, visible progress, that you can track very soon. Um, and we'll keep you updated on that. Uh, but in the meantime, ministry continues. Right? We're going to continue going on. This, this room will be filled with kiddos all week. We hope you're bringing your kids to kids camp this week. And we've got a sermon to get to today. And so I'm going to ask you to join me in a word of prayer as we launch into that. Father, we are, we are grateful uh, for the opportunity to be here this morning. We're grateful for each and every person who's here and each and every person who's, who's joined us online. And we ask that as we turn our attention to your word, God, that you just continued what you've already started this morning through fellowship, through connection, through conversation, through the worship, uh, through everything that you've done, through, through groups that have met, all of it, Lord. Um, we just pray that as we now look at your word, that it would not return to you void as you promised it won't, uh, that you will move, that you will speak, uh, that you'll have your way, and that we'll respond humbly to whatever you bring before us. Get the glory from this, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, have you ever noticed how important it is what we pour into things? There's a report came out just a few months ago that, that NBA star LeBron James spends $1 million every year just on his body, right? The dietitians, uh, physical therapists, strength coach, more, the things that he spends just on his body totals up a million dollars a year. And people began to immediately scoff at that report. Like, how ridiculous is this? Like, that's excessive, right? Until you take a closer look at it. When you consider that LeBron is 37 years old, playing in the NBA against people who averaged 10 to 15 years younger than him. And this year, he came within a decimal point of a point in leading the entire league in scoring. At an age when most people retired, he paid $41 million by the Lakers to play basketball this year. He made millions more in endorsements. In fact, Forbes just released this week that he's the first active athlete ever to be worth more than $1 billion. That million dollars is starting to look like a pretty good investment, isn't it? Now, can you imagine when he was drafted out of high school if he decided, man, I've reached my dreams, and so now I'm going on an all-Twinkies and Dr. Pepper diet for the rest of my days? He would not be playing at this level at 37. He wouldn't even be playing basketball. He'd look like Zion Williamson, all right? The Indy 500 was run a couple weeks ago, this open-wheel race where these 33 cars are traveling more than 200 miles an hour. The finest drivers in the world are racing to get the most prestigious prize in racing. And what if one of them pulled in their pit stop and what was waiting on them was just a bunch of Casey's employees putting regular under 87 unleaded in their car? That car would not perform like that. It wouldn't win. And here's why. Because what you pour in greatly affects what is put out. What you pour in affects what is put out. And this is true for athletics. This is true for cars. This is true for spirituality. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs 4, guard your heart above all else, for it's the source of life. The idea that is the source of life, some translations say everything you do flows from it. So guard your heart above all else because everything you do flows from it. It's from our heart where our actions flow. It's from our heart where our decisions and our impulses and our attitudes and words and more flow. So what we pour into our minds, what we pour into our hearts, makes a huge difference. In fact, it's a bigger deal than we give it credit for. Which is why it's so wonderful that we have a God who has given us a tremendous gift. It's a gift that we've been given that we have access to constantly, whenever we want it. It's a gift that we can invest into our own hearts. It's a gift that we can use to invest in others too. It's a gift that is powerful and transforming and life-giving. And yet far too often this gift is neglected 
at the hands of lesser things. And it's neglected at our detriment, and it's neglected to the detriment of those we love. And here in 2 Timothy 3, Paul, in writing to Timothy, he's, he knows how important this particular gift has been to Timothy's life. He knows how hard Timothy's calling is. He knows the mess that he's left him in in Ephesus. And he knows all the hurdles he's going to face. In fact, all of chapter 3 has been about that. And so he wants to encourage him to never stop investing this particular gift into his own heart and then pour it into others as well. Because it's as true for us as it was for Timothy, that what you pour in greatly affects what is put out. And so I'm going to invite Jeff McIntosh up to read today's passage for you. He's going to read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. And if you are physically capable, would you please stand with him for the reading of God's word this morning? Or Jeff. Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> Verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you. And you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You guys have a seat. As always, keep your Bibles open right there to 2 Timothy 3. We're going to be looking at that passage today. And really, uh, I had Jeff read through verse 17 for context, but mostly uh, verses 16 and 17, we're going to be looking at next Sunday. All right? But just so you know, uh, where we've been in chapter 3, the heading in, in my Bible uh, says the start of chapter 3, difficult times ahead. All right, now Paul didn't write that. He didn't put headings over his paragraphs, all right? But we add those in later. But it's, it's fitting because if you think through everything that Paul has been telling Timothy, is that's the theme. There's difficult times ahead, right? He tells him early in the chapter that, that even in the church, people are going to start loving themselves and loving money more than they love God. That false teachers and deceivers are going to worm their way into whatever cracks are there and take advantage of gullible people. That persecution is coming for everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. And that deception and evil are only going to keep getting progressively worse. That sounds like difficult times are ahead, right? But right, last week we began looking at what Paul wants Timothy to do in response to all this. Right, what, what is he to do in response to all these growing challenges and hurdles that he'll be facing in ministry? And the first thing that we started on last week was in verse 14, in which he tells him, just continue. Continue in that which you have learned and firmly believed. And so these things that have been taught to you, Timothy, these things that have been poured into you that you firmly believed, just keep on with those. There's no, there's no reason to rewrite the manual. Right? There's, there's nothing changed. There's nothing changed about who you are in Jesus. There's nothing changed about what is true in him. There's nothing changed about what you're to do in this life, which had to be so freeing and relieving for Timothy to hear. But as we keep reading this passage, right, we get to see what it was that was taught to Timothy, what it was that he learned and believed, and it's the exact same gift that we all have been given by God. Look at verse 14 again. He says, But as for you, continue what you've learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you. And then verse 15, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures. This isn't super profound, okay? But the first thing I want to pull out and, and drive home this morning is that Timothy was taught the word of God. He was taught it, okay? And I, and I want to make sure we, get, we grasp this. There's a couple of phrases that I think are important here. First, Paul calls them the sacred scriptures, right? Did you catch that in verse 15? It's a, that term means to be consecrated, to be set apart, to be, to be guarded, to be unique, to be different. 
And we were talking about this as a staff this week in our staff meeting about how, um, how continuing education is good, right? Schooling and degrees and trainings and books and conferences and workshops and more, they're all good things. And, and we should be using them to grow. We should be using them to advance our, and develop our skills. But all those things must remain supplementary to the Word of God, not ever be replacements for it. As Spurgeon quoted, I think Travis quoted in his sermon from Spurgeon, where he, Spurgeon said, visit many good books, but live in the Bible. And so the question that I want to ask is this. Do you have a reverence for God's word? Do you, do you, do you, do you see it as sacred? Do you, do you then approach it with humility and deference, or do you kind of open it like you do every other book? Do you know why it is that we refuse to gather around here without opening the Bible? It's because our opinion is irrelevant. Our preferences might be a waste of your time. But if you confront the living, active truths of God's word, that will make an impact. You'll leave change one way or the other. Do you know why we ask you to stand for scripture reading? It's not because we want you to let you stretch out again. It's because we're trying to train you, physically train you, into honoring the scriptures as sacred because they are. And you're going to hear a reason why today they're sacred and a whole lot more reasons next week why. But the scriptures are sacred, and we need, to, we need to show them the deference and humility they deserve. And the other important phrase is this. He writes to Timothy, you know those who taught you, and here's the phrase, and how from infancy... You have known the sacred scriptures. You know what that tells you? It tells you that Timothy did not learn the scriptures on his own. He couldn't have had a young child. In chapter 1, verse 5 of this letter, Paul points out Lois and Eunice, Timothy's mom and grandma, and how they've done a tremendous job of, of pushing this faith down and impressing it on Timothy. They did a tremendous job of pouring the scriptures into Timothy's life. Whether it was teaching him phrases to memorize or praying it over him or teaching him songs that's quoted scripture, whatever it is they did. Right, they made these wonderful, timeless investments into Timothy. And as he grew and could comprehend more, I'm sure they read it with him and talked about, it, talked about the scriptures to them, and it just became a part of their life, just as they were commanded to in those same sacred scriptures. If you remember Deuteronomy 6, when Moses delivers the law to the people of Israel, here's what he says, these words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart, and here's what you're to do with them. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit down in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. You're getting the point, aren't you? These investments of truth, right, the sharing of God's word needs to be an ongoing organic part of everyday life in the Christian home. And Timothy had that coming up. Then later in his life, we read in Acts 16 where Timothy meets Paul, and Paul simply just continues to build on the foundation that was already laid. And Paul pours into Timothy the training in God's word that, that Paul got after his own conversion. And, and I hope that, that, that you're, you're starting to become a little bit more like me, that after studying these two letters for the last two years, it has you sort of rooting for Timothy. After reading so much of what Paul poured into him and invested in him, you, it would be a huge bummer after all this to, to find out that later he just sort of fell away from the faith. But you'll be happy to know he didn't. He stays faithful for decades after this letter. He does tremendous things for Christ and his church, and at the age of 80, he will die at the hands of persecutors, having fought the good fight and having finished his race and having finished well. But what I want you to see this morning is that Timothy did not get there on his own. Yes, the Lord carried him. Yes, the Lord sustained him and equipped him and enabled him. But there are also people in his life who cared about him enough to make the most important investment they could ever make in him. They taught him the sacred scriptures. 
And it made a world of difference. Because what is poured in greatly affects what is put out. Now, why are the scriptures so sacred? Why should we honor God's word and then hold it in such reverence? Well, there are a few reasons, many of which we'll see next week, but one of the biggest is found right here at the end of verse 15. He says, you know that from infancy you've known the sacred scriptures, and here's why, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And so the second thing we can see here is that, it's that, is that God's word leads us to salvation. Now the phrase that Paul actually writes here is that, that the scriptures are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And so let's be clear about one thing. We are not saved by believing the Bible is true. Right, look, look close to that sentence again. What is salvation through? It's through faith in Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus and Jesus alone can save us. Faith and faith in him alone unlocks salvation. So what is the role that God's word plays in this that Paul is talking about? Well, it's a, it's, it's, he writes that the sacred scriptures give us wisdom for salvation. It's a pretty simple concept. You cannot believe in Jesus as your savior if, number one, you don't know why you need saved, and number two, you don't know who can save you. Right? And so we should use God's word to point people to faith in Jesus Christ, to help them understand, A, why they need saved, and B, who it is that can save them. So think of it, all you, all you who are in Jesus this morning, right? The reason, the reason that we can know these things, the reason I can stand before you this morning and know that I'm a sinner, and the reason that I know that the payment for my sin is death, and the reason I know that I cannot pay my price in full to appease the holy God, and the reason I know that Jesus is holy and perfect and sinless in God, and the reason I know that he came and took on human form, and the reason I know that he paid my price on the cross and then rose again to offer eternal life, and the reason I know that it's only by faith in him that I can be saved from my sins and given eternal life is not because somebody told me their opinion. It's not because I, those are concepts that I dreamed up somewhere, but because God's word tells us all those things. And I'm going to take left to ourselves. We're going to come up with our own version of what we need to do to get to heaven and reconcile with our creator, and it will be woefully insufficient. I've actually had people tell me, oh yeah, me and God will just make a deal when I get there. And the reason it's going to be woefully insufficient is our own version, separate from the Word of God, will never recognize the holiness of God, will never recognize the seriousness and gravity of sin, and never recognize the reality that I deserve hell. That's what I deserve. We only discover those truths in God's Word. And the seriousness of our situation helps us understand the immense grace and love that is shown to us in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that realization leads us to respond to faith in Him. It's the word that shows us our need. It's the word that shows us the sufficiency of Jesus and his sacrifice. It's the word that leads us to wisdom of, leads us to wisdom of recognizing our need and believing in him, which is why the word of God is our greatest tool in sharing our faith. Because his word never returns to him void. It draws people to him all the time. I've seen it multiple times. Whenever someone is investigating Christianity or considering faith in Jesus or seeking or whatever term you want to give it, I don't really care. But whenever that's happening, if, if that person starts genuinely reading the Bible, the game is over. It's over every time because the word goes to work on their hearts and it's just a matter of time before they surrender. And so next week, we're going we're to continue in these verses. Look at verse 16 and 17. And look at all the other things uh, the Word of God is useful for. But these two things are big enough truths that I think we need to pause and consider how to respond to them today. The truth that, that, that Timothy was taught and invested and poured into with the Scriptures and that the Scriptures lead us to salvation. Well, I, think we need to, I think we need to watch that, okay? And so here's, here's three challenges for you. Number one, it's time that we get serious about investing in others. 
And I mean that. It's time to get serious about it. Timothy did not get to where he was on his own. It started, yes, in his home and his upbringing. It continued at the church at Lystra where he was brought up, and then it continued when Paul took him in and mentored him. But here's what I want us to consider. What is God's expectation for Timothy after all that investment? What, 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 is, what is Timothy expected to do with all that stuff that was poured into him? Was it enough for him to just remain faithful? Was it enough for him just to be a good Christian? Was it enough for him just to do whatever he needed to keep himself in line? Or is there more of an expectation on top of that? Well, we see that answer in, in chapter 2 of this letter. Look at chapter 2, verse 2, where Paul writes, What you've heard from me, literally, what, what I've invested in you, Timothy, which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who, who will be able to teach others also. So don't, it doesn't stop with you, Timothy. Then you commit it to others who will commit it to others who will commit it to others who will commit it to others, and on and on and on it goes. This pattern of investment was never to end. And this is not just for Timothy, but all who are in Christ Jesus. None of us in this room have gotten to where we are on our own. Not one of us. Somebody taught us. Somebody poured into us. Somebody revealed truth to us. And yes, I know there, there'd be varying levels of that for each of us, but God has used others in all of our lives to point us to him and his word. And so what is the expectation on you in response to that? What you've heard from them, commit to others who will be able to teach others also. That's the expectation. As I was writing this section, uh, I was sitting in a coffee shop early in the morning this week, and it was, it was about 6.15 a.m., and there was a man who looked a little bit older than me, and he was sitting by himself. And I try not to be a creeper in public, but I was like, what? This is a weird thing, a guy just to sit all by himself in the middle of a coffee shop. He, he had nothing in front of him. He was just sitting there kind of like staring at the wall. I was like, I wonder what he's doing, you know? And so I kept writing, but I was tracking him. And a little while later, a, a younger guy, probably in his early 20s, came in and sat down with him, and he immediately like, kind of lit up, and he greeted him, and he prayed with him, and he reached in his bag and pulled out a Bible and just started going over it with him. I have no idea who these guys were. I don't know whether they're from Terre Haute. I don't know what church they're involved with. I don't know what, I no, didn't, didn't introduce myself or anything, but just watching that gave me great hope. Because while false teachers and leader failures get all the views and all the headlines and all the attention, it's those things that the kingdom of darkness has absolutely no answer for. None. It's Christians understanding that there's nothing that God has given them in their lives that was meant to end with them. And so looking, actively looking to invest in others. Every gift you've ever been given, every service you've ever set through, every study or group you've been a part of, every mentor or disciple you've ever had, none of those things were just for you, ever. God has been shaping you, informing you, and teaching you so that you can then go and invest in others. If you're thinking this morning, man, I, that sounds good, but I'm, I'm brand new in my faith, right? I don't really know the word I need to invest in first. I'm not going to totally disagree with you on that. But here's how I would challenge you if that's you. Start preparing now. Ask the Lord to develop you so that you can then develop others. Everyone who's teaching early elementary professionally has something in common. And here's what it is. At some point in their life, they went to kindergarten and first and second grade. And then another point in their life, they went to college to learn how to teach kindergartners and first graders and second graders. And those are totally different mindsets. There's a totally different mindset between learning just for you and learning and prepping to be able to teach and invest in others. And what I'm asking you to do is that when it comes to your discovery of God's word, have both mindsets. Join a group, right? Join a study. Get past just the Sunday morning experience and go deeper with others. But in doing so, commit to the Lord ahead of time that you, when you're ready, you're going to lead one yourself. 
Find a mentor. Find somebody to stop you and pour in you, but to commit to God ahead of time that once that happens, you're also going to mentor others in your future. Because I'll be honest with you, man, one of the most frustrating things in ministry is when we try to create more groups around here so that people can have that experience and grow deeper like others are doing, and that we have way more group members than we do group leaders, it can feel like pulling teeth just to find a couple more leaders. And this should not be so. In fact, we need to just stop celebrating things in church culture that should never be celebrated. If you've attended the same class or same group for years or decades without ever leading one or investing in others, that's not a prize, and I'm going to stop celebrating you for it. Right? If, you, if, you've, if you've been coached or discipled and never done it for someone else, that's a problem. And one you need to get serious about addressing. God demands that each of us invest in others, right? That we live others-focused. It should not be surprising to us of this. And it should really not be surprising that in God's design, this begins first and foremost in the home. And so the second encouragement I want to take to give you this morning from the scriptures is that, is that you should make Jesus the foundation of your home, not in word, but in actual deed and practice. Now, I've told you before, if, if you go verse by verse through a book, your timing can end up being pretty awful, right? For instance, nobody would have chosen Mother's Day to cover 1 Timothy 2, but there I was last year on Mother's Day, Right? And this would be a tremendous passage for Father's Day, which is next Sunday, right? But here we are, okay? So moms, dads, grandparents. Listen, whether or not you influence your children or grandchildren is not a choice that you have. Even if you're absent, even if you're apathetic, even if you don't care, that will influence them. So you are influencing them. Right? You're investing in them intentionally or not. It's happening. And so the question is, what are you pouring into them? How are you shaping them? What are you teaching them with your words? What are you teaching them with your actions? What are you teaching them with their priorities? What are you teaching them with the way you spend money? What are you teaching them with the way you schedule the family calendar and more? What are you teaching them is most important in life? And if there are two things in my life, right, and one of them gets the vast majority of my time and my effort and my attention and my passion and my money and my pursuit, and the second thing gets whatever is left over, and I keep being told the second thing's the most important, is that not going to start falling flat? Parents, what you pour in greatly affects what is put out. You have on your laps this morning or on your phones or in the seat back in front of you one of the greatest gifts that God has ever given humanity. It is his revealed word to us. It is truth. It is hope. It is certainty. It is an anchor in a world that desperately needs it. Are you investing God's word into your children? Are you tempting family devotions? It might feel like nobody's paying attention, not even your spouse. Keep doing it. The consistency alone will make the impression. Do you, do you bring Jesus up when you discipline? Or do you say, man, have you, have you thought about how our aim is to please God and live obedience to him? What would he think about what you're doing right now? Or do you, do you talk about how your faith shapes your decisions? Well, mom and dad, we've, we've prayed about this and we feel led to this. Or if you talk to your kids about God today, would it be the most awkward and weird conversation you had because you've never talked to him about it before? Listen, on behalf of a local church and as a pastor who has uh, someone who has children's and student ministries, uh, ministers on my staff, I'm begging you not to punt this to your youth pastors. It is not their job to disciple your kids. It just isn't, and we're not going to ask them to. 
It is their job to be an encouragement to them and to you. It's their, they exist to be supplementary to what you should be already doing, to come alongside you and help you in pointing your kids to Jesus and his truth. But if you abandon that totally to them, they get one to two hours a week with your child. You've made their job almost impossible from the start. So listen to what Moses says in Deuteronomy 6. Talk about God in your home. Talk about Jesus. Display Bible verses. Put up artwork, right? Uh, just do dry erase markers in your mirror if you want. Play songs that will help your children memorize scripture. Have the entire family going to church become a commitment for you. Pray together. Encourage them to be a light for Jesus when it is you send them out of their home. You're always investing something in your kids. Is what you're investing the most important things? Or is it by your actions and by your calendar and by your preferences and by, by the decisions you've made, are you constantly telling them that something else matters more? Listen, it's never too late to get in the game on this one. Nobody gets this perfect. Nobody. But instead of wallowing in guilt about how it's been till now, why don't, why don't we do something useless and just commit to the Lord that you're going to take this calling seriously, that you want to make Jesus the actual foundation of your home? And ask him for wisdom as to how to do it. What changes need to be made to make that happen? And thirdly, let the scriptures guide people to Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you know that you're called to share your faith. If you're sitting there thinking, I, I don't know how, you don't have to overthink it. There are two really simple ways. Number one, just share your story. You don't need a degree to tell people how Jesus saved you. You know it firsthand. You've experienced it. Share your story. And then number two, get to know this word more. Find some sections of scripture that are important for those not familiar with the gospel, not familiar with Christianity to know. If you don't know what those are, ask us, Google it. They're out there, okay? It's really simple to find. Get, get acquainted with some really useful tools. There's a really simple tool that I'm sure many of you know of and have used, and it's good. And it's called the Romans Road. It's super simple, right? But there's these passages in Romans that, that just walk you through the gospel story. And it's, it's a very easy thing that I want you to memorize, because right? you can just take them through these verses, right? Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It immediately puts us on a level ground with all of humanity that lets us know the problem is that all of us are sinners. And it's a bigger problem than we think because Romans 6 tells us that the wages of sin is death. I don't know if you noticed, but the death rate for humanity is still right there at 100%. Okay? And so the, the, the problem is human sin. And, and because human sin causes not just a physical death, but a spiritual death. But Romans 6 goes on to say that the gift of God is eternal life, which is the opposite of death, by the way. The gift is eternal life in Jesus. Why Romans 5? Because God proved his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to figure everything out. He didn't wait for us to clean up our lives. He went ahead of us and died for us while we were sinners. And so Romans 10 tells us if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And just with those four verses, you can walk them to the, the, entire, to the entire gospel really quickly. And you can start. You can start just by memorizing the references. 323, 623, 5, 8, 10, 9. It's not that hard. And then you have a Bible with you, you turn to those things. Then you can go on from there to actually memorizing the verses. So if you don't have your Bible on, you can share these things. You can go from there and memorize Ephesians 2 and Colossians 1 and John 3, 16 to 18, and then on and on and on, these verses that will help you be able to paint the picture for what Jesus has done for us. And here's why, here's why I want this to matter to you. Because this is what we're told in Isaiah 55. God says, my word 
that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I will send it to do. He was four adds to that, that the word of God is living and active and cuts sharper than a two-edged sword. Do you know my words never come with such a guarantee as that? Or even remotely the same power? I can talk and talk and talk until I'm blue in the face and I will never reach the guarantee and power that comes with God's word. I still remember the day this was blatantly, made blatantly obvious for me. In between uh, this church and the one in Putnam County, I spent almost two years working at a telecommunications company in Cloverdale, Indiana. And one of the guys uh, who worked there, a manager, was by the name Darren. And Darren and I quickly hit it off. We had the exact same sense of humor, uh, the exact same love of sarcasm. And so we just kind of became buddies really fast. And it, it, the Lord revealed to me quickly that the reason that I was there, part of the reason I was there, was that my path would interact with Darren's. He was not a believer. He did not know the Lord. He had no interest in it. And so for the two years I was there, we, our relationship grew. Uh, he liked going to get lunches together. And so I had multiple chances in order to share the gospel with him and kind of share my faith and my story with him. And when I left to come here to Terre Haute, uh, he, was still, he was still a non-believer, right? And so I've been here only a couple months, and I got a call uh, from somebody in Cloverdale saying that Darren was in a hospital in Indianapolis and that he had come within an inch of death. Like, and it had rattled him and shook him. And I was like, all right. Like, I wasn't celebrating. They almost died. But I was like, this is my moment, right? Like this, this, he's surely going to listen now. And so I got in the car and I drove all the way over to Indianapolis. And when I was getting out, I, I grabbed this little um, pocket, I carry like, like pocket-sized Bible. And I slid it into uh, my cargo pants pocket because that's how cool I was in 2010. I was wearing cargo pants, right? And, and I went upstairs and went into his room, and I found him. And, and I, you know, I thought through what my strategy was. And so I just opened with, hey, man. What if this had gone different? Like, what if you'd have died last night? Like, where would you be right now? And I thought, man, he's, he's going to have nothing for that. We ended up talking for two hours and 50 minutes, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I would make a point, he'd make a counterpoint. I'd make a point, he'd ask a question. I'd answer back and forth. And it was getting absolutely nowhere, nowhere. And I was getting really frustrated. And finally, just trying to have a conversation with him and with God, same time, I was like, God, give me something here. And it was like the Holy Spirit said, you ever going to try that Bible that's in your pocket? I was like, all right, Darren, we're going to try a different strategy. I'm going to stop talking, and I'm just going to turn to different passages in the Bible, and I want you to read them out loud. And if you have a question about what it means, ask me. But if not, I'm going to turn to another one, and you're going to read that one. I don't know whether it's because he was in a hospital bed, had nowhere to go, but he agreed to it. And so I just started turning. Read this one. Read this one. Read this one. And about five minutes later, he said, all right, just stop. He said, I'm ready. He's like, I'm ready. Whatever it is, I'm ready. And he prayed to accept Christ. And I got real excited. I left, and I was driving home the interstate, and then I realized about 30 minutes of drive, I could have been home by now. <laughs> like, if I had just led with that, I would have been home already, been having dinner with my family. Like, what a waste of time for, to have my intellect carry the conversation for two hours and 50 minutes and get nowhere. Right? But when God's word came in, it, was, it closed the deal. It's because the scriptures are sacred. It's because they're in the inspired word of God. It's because the word of God is a gift. And if what we pour in greatly affects what is put out, then the question that we need to ask is, are we investing God's word into our own hearts? Are we reading it? Are we knowing? Are we letting it shape us? And then, are we faithful to give God a return on his investment by turning and pouring that same word and same truth into others? What is it that you're using your influence for? 
And whatever the answer is, whatever your answer is to that question, how would you feel giving God that same answer if you stood before him? Let me ask you, what is it that you're using your influence for? What is poured in greatly affects what is put out. We have the greatest gift in our laps. We need to be using it first for ourselves and then to invest in others. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the gift of your word. I thank you for the power of it. I thank you that it's living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, and it cuts even uh, to, bo- to bone and marrow. It cuts, it cuts deep into the soul and spirit. I thank you that it reads us as we read it. I thank you that it points people to wisdom for salvation in Jesus Christ. I thank you that you so freely gave it to us and that we live in a place where it is widely available to us at all times. And yet, Lord, I'm sorry and I'm regretful for how many lesser things that I've given preference to over it. How many lesser pursuits that I've chased. How many lesser things I've invested in people that I love and care about deeply that has no such guarantee and no such power, no such influence. But I'm sorry for how distracted I've been. And so I pray that around this room we would consider anew our relationship with your word that we would give it the honor and deference and sacredness that it deserves, that we would approach it in humility, but with passion, and that we would not be afraid and not be ashamed and not be hesitant and not be too busy to then invest it into others because you demand that of us. Lord, may you find in us a church that is willing not just to know these scriptures, but is willing to pour that into others. And we pray this in your powerful and awesome name. Amen. Before we close today, we're going to give you a chance just to respond to the Lord, just to wrestle with maybe some things he put on your heart or mind this morning. This is your chance to just talk to him, pray with him, wrestle with some things he's doing. Please take advantage of it. Do not miss it. And this is your time with him.